Well, good morning, Sailorville. We are back in our series, The Church That Walks With God and Ephesians. So if you brought a Bible with you today or a device, whatever, Ephesians chapter 5, if you would please, Ephesians chapter 5. And just before we get going, a little commercial, if I may. Um, so that was a great song, was it not? And a great song set as well as we sing our praises to God and how do we praise the Lord? I know that everybody, not everybody in this room and watching online gets our weekly uh, emails we send out. But I asked that question in the, in the last email, you know, how do, how do we know that we're really praising the Lord? And I think one of the answers is the way in which we give ourselves of our time, of our treasures, and of our talents. And uh, this is that time of year where we get to ask you to, think seriously about sacrificial giving beyond your normal giving. And we have, a, we have a harvest and praise service in two weeks, okay? And we have earmarked two areas of giving. And I just want to bring them to your attention very briefly. The first is our newest church plant. Our newest church planter is John Nemers. Do you know him? Anyway, uh, so by this time next year, he should... Uh, he, he should be planning a church, Lord willing, and we want to raise monies for all the startup costs for that, okay? So we want to raise 30000 just for that. So the first 30000 of the harvest offering is set aside for uh, the new church plant and in startup costs. The other is Redeemer Church in Winterset, okay? So Redeemer Church is one of our church plants, and every time we planted a church, Sailorville, no matter what's going on in our church, whether we're in the middle of a building uh, program as well as we are, we, we don't care. We've, we've gone public to say we will help our church plants. And we've actually given $100,000 to our church plants. And it's our desire to do the same for Redeemer. Now, that would be a very large offering, $130,000. But I'd love to see that. And so I'm just taking an opportunity to say to you today to be thinking and praying about what you would give in a special way toward that special offering in just two weeks so that we can really watch the church continue to grow. Amen? All right, commercial over, Ephesians 5, all right? All right, so uh, as we, uh, you know what? Let's pray. That'd be a good thing to do as we get going. God, thanks. Thanks for this time we could hang out with one another and fellowship, sing these praises to you. You deserve all praise. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah. Praise and honor to our King. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what it means to praise and honor you. The passage that we're looking at, Lord, is a busy one. It's a heavy one. It's one that calls us out to be those who are the fragrance of the gospel and who love and who are lights in this world. I pray, Lord, this old metaphor of being a light uh, would re-impact us today in a special, special way. Uh, bless those watching online as well. Make this a worthy and worthwhile hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now I'm Ephesians 5, okay? So whenever uh, our kids would leave the home or whatever, whenever they leave the house, we had an expression. I especially had an expression. I would say as they walked out the door, remember whose you are. Not who you are, which would be legit, and certainly in the text here as well, but whose you are. 
And I think the Apostle Paul has that same idea in mind in these first 14 verses in Ephesians chapter 5. So I want to read these verses with, with the kind of expression I think Paul would have me to read it with. And uh, I'm asking you to drink these words in, even as I read them. Would you please? He says, therefore, and whenever you see the word therefore, you ask yourself what it's there for. The antecedent to that is the verse before, which says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So he says, therefore, in the light of God's being a forgiver, imitate that. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be, say it, thanksgiving. There's the put off, put on deal going again. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the, war, in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all good and right and true. All that is, that is. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Just say amen. All right, amen to that. So, love and light. Would you agree? are two of the most attractive things in life, right? And here we're told to walk in both. Walk in the love of Christ. Walk in the light of Christ. That's what I'm calling attractive Christianity. That not only seeks to please the Lord, but attracts people to him. So that's the whole idea here. So, so it attracts people to Jesus because just as Jesus, we need to learn how to love as Jesus loved and shine as Jesus shined. We emanate like a, like a fireplace on a really, really cold day. We all want to be around it. And you will too. You will attract people to, to yourself and unto God if you have this kind of attractive Christianity. Or not. Because as we'll see here in a minute, the same fragrance works, cuts in two different ways. And just one other thing, Paul is clearly writing to Christians. Just let that be known because I don't assume all of you are Christians or watching online. But you should know that he is writing to Christians. But that said, he never, 
Just as we never, he never assumes that. And I think the text is going to bring that out. He never assumes that his entire audience in the church at Ephesus are Christians. So here is our task for the day. Follower of Jesus, remember. Follower of Jesus, remember. Remember whose you are. You're a child of God. Imitate him. That's what he's saying. Imitate, mimite. We get our English word mimic from this word. I, I st- every time I read this word mimite, I always think of when I, years ago I was, I was having devotions in the morning, had my Bible open, and I, I was just, I must have been in prayer. I had, my, I had my, my hand on my forehead, which is what you do when you're reading your Bible. And I sensed that there was somebody in the room. And I looked up, and my three-year-old had walked in the room, and he was just like this. He just doing what kids do. He was mimicking his dad. And we are told to mimic, mimic the Lord Jesus here. And by the way, the word conveys do as I do. That's what the word absolutely conveys. It's sort of a nod to the rabbis of the first century. And as it turns out, walking in love, figuratively speaking, actually affects our smell. So notice what he says. We are to be as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, literally a savor of sweet smell. That's what the Greek says. So Paul takes an old, well-known phrase from the Old Testament, this this business of of our lives, our offerings being a sweet sacrifice, a sweet sweet savor, a a sweet fragrance to God. That's actually mentioned almost 50 times in the Old Testament. And he's applying it both to what Jesus' sacrifice brought to the Father on the cross and how ours do the same as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is your logic and your reasonable, your logical service, right? That's what he's doing here. So our women have a podcast now. If you don't know that, ladies, you should be listening to it. Say a women's podcast, a little nod to them. Really good job. They're they're, they're looking through the very passage that we're looking at here. And they, were, they, had, they had some fun the other day. I was listening to it. They were talking about smells, their favorite smells that might not be somebody else's favorite smell. And it was really fun listening to them on this. And I thought about it right away. I had this conversation with my wife because it hearkened us back. We often talk about those smells that take you back to your childhood. And uh, she, I mean, my wife loves the smell of fresh cut hay. I love freshly laid asphalt. That's the way it is. I just do. I don't explain it. <laughs> but in childhood, we learn the delight and power of smell, right? I mean, who among us whose, whose parents are gone can't, uh, can't still smell your mom's pies or her cookies, or her baked goods, or her, pot, or, or her pot roast, for that matter? I can still smell my dad's Old Spice aftershave and butch wax. Yeah, they had hair product back in those days, too. One of my, uh, one of my uh, grandkids hugged me here a little while ago, and she goes, Papa, you smell good. Well, it wasn't butch wax, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> but our lives should smell good. That's the idea here, both to God and to others. We are to be an attraction. But it does cut both ways. By the way, the key word here in verse one is, and two is the word as. That's the word, that's a comparative word. And so he's, he says it twice. We are to be like this. 
And that's why one of my favorite verses, I signed it with almost all my communication for many years. It's still one of my life verses. 2 Corinthians 2.15, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Unto those who are being saved and unto those who are perishing. Notice it cuts both ways. Same smell, different impact. To, to the one, we are the aroma of life leading to life. And to the other, we, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And who is sufficient for these things, Paul writes? Just last week, to illustrate, many of you were here, if not most of you, we had a, our missions conference and, and every service, people were going forward, dedicating, surrendering to the Lord as, to be on mission. It was a wonderful thing. In the second service, before I was done praying, before I was even done praying, this entire, this entire front was full of people kneeling. And then there was even a back row to that. It was an amazing thing. It was an emotional thing. I was weeping. I had tears coursing down my cheeks as I watched God working amongst these people, the front filled with sweet-smelling sacrifices, kneeling before God. And in that very moment, I, I was standing right there looking at this, crying, and I received a text from the back. And here's what it read. The restrooms have backed up and are no longer usable. I'm not done. You'll need to make that announcement, unquote. Right there in juxtaposition, side by side, the sweet smell to God of surrendered saints coming to him and the noxious stench of men running from a bathroom. The one had us lifting up our hands in praise, the other had us plugging our noses in disgust. How do you smell? That's a serious question. How do you smell? Are you a fragrant offering to God? Or a repulsive smell? Now, I realize it cuts both ways. But when I got COVID a few years ago, uh, I was one of those guys, as some of you, who lost all sense of smell for over a month. And just the other day, I was with a friend at a restaurant, which will go unlisted. I won't mention what restaurant it was. As we walked in, we both went, and it had just this pungent odor of sewage in the restaurant. And I looked at my friend. I go, do you smell that? He goes, mm, yeah. And just then, the servants came. I was going, can we seat you? And I said, do you smell that? And they went, huh? Do you see what I'm saying? We smelled it, but they didn't smell it. You want to know why they didn't smell it? Because they couldn't smell it. They were so used to smelling it they, that we left. Now, let me tell you something. A bad smell might cause me to walk away from you, but no smell doesn't exactly, doesn't exactly attract me to you. Remember whose you are. You are God's if you are a follower of Jesus. Imitate him with a life and a fragrance which attracts others, doesn't repulse them. And I get it. If you love Jesus, you will repulse them. But let it be because you love him and not because you have some kind of repulsive way about you. 
Secondly, remember whose you were. And this is sort of the guts of the passage, verses 7 through 13. This is where he mentions the covetousness. He mentions the sexual immorality more than once, and he mentions uh, that's being covetous, being idolatry. And he mentions this filthy, obscene talk. Ephesus was notoriously sexually wicked. I led a group on retracing the footsteps of the Apostle Paul years ago, and we went through this amazing archaeological, it's probably the most amazing archaeological dig in the world. It's only a third of it has been unearthed. But as you walk down the main street, you come to this marble, and it's right there, there's a footprint right in the marble. And if you'll see, there's a little square box off to the right, right below it. That square box represented the school of Tyrannus, where Paul actually taught. And, uh, and it was... And the foot is pointing in the direction of the brothel, pointing men to where, you, where the brothel was. But archaeologists have discovered a secret passage from the school of Tyrannus, or the library, to the brothel. So men would visit the brothel under the guise of their love for literature. They're still doing the same today, just looks a little different. Paul says in verse 3, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. And one translation says there shouldn't even be a hint of it. Another translation says it shouldn't even be mentioned. Why is that? Why shouldn't there even be a hint? Why can't we mention it? Because of what verse 12 says. That look at what it says. Look at what he says. Look at what he says. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that are done in secret. That's why. We live in the most voyeuristic, most crude, most obscene society. Well, I don't know about ever, but it was certainly like this one. We're a little bit like Jeremiah who said, are, do they, are they ashamed of the abominations they're committing? They're not only not ashamed, they don't even know how to blush. That's Jeremiah 6.15 if you're looking for it. So that's why he says these things at the end of verse 3 is they're not proper among saints. Do you see that? Now he's identifying you and me who follow Jesus. We're saints. The word saints is, is the word which means to be set apart. We are the set apart ones. We should be the ones who are distinguished from the world by the ways in which we live. And, when, and getting to our mouths in verse 4, he uses the word filthiness. Do you see that? That's the only time this word ever appears in the New Testament. It literally means to be obscene. Now, I thought of my own life and my own morals. My mouth and my morals were obscene before I became a Christian. Absolutely obscene. And when I became a Christian, I counted the cost. When I became a Christian, I still remember this. Three days, this is crazy, but three days after becoming a Christian, I wasn't swearing anymore. It wasn't just rolling out of my mouth. And I remember thinking, wow, I don't swear anymore. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't being presumptuous, but it was just, God had put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. And many were starting to see it, fear, and being attracted to our God. During the Welsh revival of 1904, which may have been the last great revival in the world over 100 years ago in the UK, Thousands of people were being swept into the kingdom of God. Preaching was an amazing thing, worth looking at. 
But during the Welsh uh, revival, one eyewitness reported, and I quote, even the horses are puzzled. Formerly driven by obscenity and kicks, now they can hardly persuade the horses to start working because there's no obscenity and no kicks. My first wife was not an obscene person at all. In fact, she was a very likable individual. As testified by one of our dearest friends, they worked together. She was an RN. They were RNs together. But my wife, before she was a Christian, said God a lot. It was like a stopgap word in her, in, her, uh, in her conversation. Oh, God, no. And God, oh, God. And just saying God all the time. And by the way, that's using the Lord's name in vain. You realize that, right? And this, this other Christian RN was just, she was always repulsed by my wife's incessant unwitting and unthoughtful use of the word God. So this friend noticed for about a month, they talked every day, several days a week, and my wife was not using the Lord's name in vain. And so she openly wondered if we had become Christians, and we had. So they invited us to their house to witness to us. We went to their house to witness to them, and we became friends. And just the other day, in our own community group, one gentleman who's got a very prestigious job and, and deals with a lot of people, God has put a new song in his mouth, and so he doesn't swear in the hopes that he will draw people to Jesus. And that's the way it should be, attractive Christianity. In fact, just, uh, just uh, last week, I was working with some other new Christians, and they were told to read through 1 John Not once, not twice, but three times. So they read through 1 John three times. And so we came back to, what what was your takeaway? And both of them, their biggest takeaway was how how unambiguous John was. He was just straightforward with his language. In fact, here's how John puts it when it comes to walking in sin. He says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Talk about not mincing words. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, his sperma, that's the word, his divine sperm, it abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And the apostle Paul here takes a page out of John when he says in verse five, he says, for you may be sure of this, anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words or because of these things. Because of these things, the orge, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Talk about not mincing words. Hear the word wrath is a, is a word which means the settled, ang- settled anger. In fact, in the Greek culture of Paul's day, it meant a kind of, of a agitation of the soul. It was, it, it, it was impulsive even. It had a violent emotion to it. And in fact, the word carries the idea of something that's swelling. And let me tell you something. God is not out of control, amen? But his wrath is being pent up. Make no mistake. To those of you who are looking, who are not 
looking back at the life of disobedience, but looking at a life of disobedience because you are a perpetual disobedient person. You are a son of disobedience. You are a daughter of disobedience. By the way, whenever you see the word son of, whether it refers to Jesus or anyone else, it's talking about the nature of that individual. And if it is your nature to simply be disobedient, I'm not talking about you know, slipping from time to time. I'm not talking about, you know, sinning where you confess it and get right with it. I'm talking about your whole life is that way. I can be, you can be sure of this. The wrath of God is pent up for you. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what you need to do. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus said, he who believes in me is not condemned. But he who does not believe in me is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And he says in verse 36 of the same passage, the wrath of God abides on you. That's a sober thing, isn't it? And that's all some of you need to know. And know this, no sinful behavior in this world, nobody gets away with it because the wrath of God is swelling Nobody gets away with it. God's perfect retribution will be meted out at the right time. But saints of Jesus, remember who you were. You were a son. You were a daughter of disobedience. And rejoice in your deliverance, amen? That's what you do. Lastly, remember what you are. Remember what you are, follower of Jesus. Remember what you are. And I'm looking at the last several verses here where he says in verse seven, therefore, do not be partners with them for at one time you were darkness. See that? You were darkness. But now you are light in the, in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's what you are. But here it is again. At one time you were darkness. I know what some of you think, you know, I, I don't like to be constantly reminded about what I was. You know what? You need to be constantly reminded about what you were. I do. By the way, you want to know how you can, in a healthy way, be reminded of who you were? By sharing Jesus, which we talked about last week. Because when you share Jesus, you got to tell him what he's done for you. And if you're going to tell him, you're going to tell somebody what God has done for you, you're going to tell what you have been delivered from. You are re reminded in a healthy, Christ-like way of what you used to be. And that cultivates humility in your life as well as in the person's life that you're shedding light on. Listen to me. You will never appreciate who you are unless you remember who you were. You will never appreciate who you are unless you remember who you were. May the God of your salvation, follower of Jesus, deepen your appreciation for his great salvation and remind you that you are light. Look at it again. Verse, at the end of verse eight, he says, walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Walk as children of light with a light that professes that possesses fruit that's good. That, that word means morally excellent. That's right. That means righteous, right ways. You're walking in the ways of God. 
and true. You're speaking truth, not just to yourself, but to others. You want to know what grows in the dark? Fungus grows in the dark. Mold grows, in fact, thrives in the dark. Walk in light. What does light do? It kills mold, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's God's natural disinfectant. You, as the light of Jesus Christ, are, this is what you're doing. You possess fruit that's good and right and true in this world. With a light with motivations. That, in the words of the 10th verse, you try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. If you're walking in the light, your motivation will not be, how can I get ahead? How can I make more money? How can I be more beautiful? How can I be more healthy? How can I have my kids? How, can I, how about starting with God? How about starting with what is going to please the Lord? Trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Jesus himself said in John 8, 29, I do always those things which please him. Have you ever read that? So do it with a light that possesses fruit that's good, right, and true, that has motivations that try to discern in your life what's pleasing to the Lord. And with a light that's unafraid to expose sin, or as the text calls it, the unfruitful works of darkness. And let me just say something about this. Light naturally exposes, right? The way you expose darkness is not by going, nah, 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 nah. Nobody is attracted by that. You know how you expose darkness? By simply being on. And not on a dimmer. But on. If you're on, You'll expose the darkness. I was at an auction one day, and it was years ago, but, but these two farmers, somehow I got between two buddies, and it was like shoulder-to-shoulder people. And these guys were just cussing up a blue streak with one another, blank-bombing this, blank-bombing that, God this, God that, and it, it, was, it was really revolting. I wanted to say something, but I remember, they're not Christians. What do we expect, you know? And, uh, and, but finally, one of them said, hey, what's your name? I said, Pat. And they said, what do you do? And I kind of smiled. <laughs> I said, I pastor a church down the road. They got religion really fast. <laughs> all the custom, it was all behavior modification, but I, there is light exposed their depravity. That's what happens. So, and then, and then with the light, that attracts. We are talking about attractive Christianity. Look at verses 8 and 9 again, where he says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Kurt DeGraff, uh, our counseling pastor, likes to say that the gospel light draws many strange bugs. <laughs> Pretty funny. Let me tell you something. That might be true. But Christianity is strange enough to a lost man. There's no sense in making it even more so by being weird or odd or just goofier and all get out. That's not attractive. 
Nobody wants to be around you. If, 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 your, if your behavior is repulsive. And Jesus said, a city that's on a hill, it can't be hidden. And men don't take a candle and stick something over it. No, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And the Apostle Paul doubled down on this in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, we ought to be blameless, innocent, children of light, children of God, that is, in the midst of of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we shine as lights. That's what we do. And if we do that, we will attract men, women, people to God. I love the way Paul ends this whole passage of putting on and putting off and putting on the things of God. He says in verse 14, for Anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, by, I don't even know what it is, and neither do you, but it is apparently referring to the, this little song here. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We don't even know where that comes from. It's sort of a patchwork of Old Testament lines. And uh, Christian historians think it comes from one of two things. They think that this was a song. They're pretty sure it was a song. And they're pretty sure, a lot of people think this was the song when somebody got saved and then they got baptized, when they went under the water, which is picturing death and burial, when they came out of the water, everybody, as they came out of the water, said, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. How cool would that be? That, what do we do? Yay! I mean, you can still do that. But that'd be pretty cool. Others believe it's an appeal to those of you here in this room and watching online who've just had your sin exposed, your sexual immorality, your vulgar language, and your covetousness, which is basically just the lust for something that's not yours or maybe somebody else's. And you're, it's been exposed. and You realize that you are a sinner. You need to repent. You need to believe the gospel. And that's what, and they're saying, you sing this song. It was like an evangelistic song. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's cool, too. Like the woman at the well, repented. Like Lazarus in the grave, came alive. Wake up, rise up. Sleeping church, wake up. And shine. Remember what you are. You are lights. And I don't care if this is the most popular, well-known metaphor in Scripture. And it is. That's what you are if you're a follower of Jesus. And dead sinner, arise. Awake from your sleep. Awake from your death. And Christ will shine on you. Amen? God, we love you and bless your name and thank you for your word. Thank you for this great section of scripture, very practical, dealing with areas that no doubt many of us here are struggling with. 
sexual immorality, bad thinking, vulgar mouths, filthiness even, obscene, and coveting, always wishing for that which we don't have. We repent. And I pray, dear God, that you would make those of us who are real followers of yours attractive. That we would be like Jesus with love, with light, and with the fragrance that says, I want to be close to that person. I want to hear what she has to say. I want to experience what he's experiencing. I want to know who he knows. And Lord, while we realize it cuts both ways, help us to remember that if we are the fragrance of Jesus, it really doesn't matter how people respond, although we want them to respond to you. So make us attractive for your glory. And save those who are here, Lord, who've had their sin exposed by the word of God. May they truly repent and believe the gospel that Christ died and rose for them. And the one who said, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Also told us, told us, you, Lord Jesus, told us, you are the light of the world. (laughs) What a privilege to be the moons to the sun reflecting your light in this world and for your glory. Make us that way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.